Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to uh, the church this morning as we gather in the name of Jesus as we do every weekend to be reminded of who God is and who we are and what God may be calling us into. For those of you who may not know, I'm Brian Robertson. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I'm very glad to have you with us. We started a brand new series this morning that we are calling uh, Full Attention, as you see on the screens there. It's a short few weeks here that we're going to try and understand how is it that we can give God our, our fullest attention uh, among, among all the things that are clamoring for our attention. How can we learn to give God? And what are the practices that we can do, some disciplines we can engage in to train ourselves to be people that give God our full attention? Uh, I'm kind of excited about this series, and I'm excited to kind of walk through it with you, not only what we're learning from the Scriptures, but also what we can put into practice together as a community. Jesus was asked at one point what the greatest commandment and all the Scriptures were. All, to sum up all the Older Testament laws and the prophets, everything, Jesus. And, and if He could sum it all up, He could just kind of tell them real quickly. And Jesus replies in that, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 22, and He replies this way, that you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in order to do that, in order to love God with all of who we are, in order to understand our life with God with all we are, we're going to need to learn a few things. We're going to need to learn to be with God. In order to, to love God with everything we are, in order to do that well, we're going to need to learn to be with Him. We're going to need to learn how to give God our full attention. In a world of distractions, we need to learn to cut through the distractions and give God our full attention. If we are to grow in our life with Christ, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you've been following Christ for 30 seconds or for 30 years, if you're going to grow in your life with Christ, we're going to need to be people who learn to give God our full attention. There's no secret that one of the barriers, one of the biggest barriers actually to depth of relationship is distractions around us. That we are distracted. And if you're going to have any kind of depth in your relationship, any kind of, any kind of friendship that goes to the next level or any kind of marriage that goes to the next level, you're going to need to learn to be fully present with the person that you want that relationship with. Each of us knows what it's like to be sitting next to someone, to be talking to someone, and they're just not fully there. You know? They're distracted by something. We, we, we know what it's like to try to have a conversation with someone, and they're looking at something else, or they're distracted. Their mind really isn't there. They're not fully present with you. And you know what that's like. And you know what a, what a hindrance to your relationship it is. Well, how it's difficult to have a deep depth to your relationship when one of you is distracted all the time. Well, the same is true of our life with God. In order to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, in order to love God well, in order to have a depth to our relationship with God, we need to learn how to be fully present with God. How to be fully present we live distracted lives, always bombarded with noise and busyness and hurry, and our schedules just crowd out all of our ability to give God our full attention. So we're going to need to learn. That's what this series is intended to help us to do. To help us to learn a few things. Most in particular, to learn how to give God our fullest 
attention in the midst of a culture and the schedules and the world and in a life that sometimes is really distracted. Sometimes is really distracted. This morning we're going to look at uh, one story in the Older Testament, but we're going to do this each week. We're going to look at a story from the Scriptures and what it teaches us about how we can give God our fullest attention. And then we're going to try to practice some things together to train ourselves to give God our fullest attention. The story that we're going to look at this morning is the story of Jacob in the Older Testament that Janice read a portion of his story just a few moments ago. And the key passage I want us to zero in on, the key part of Jacob's story here, is something I want you to not only think about this morning, but even this afternoon, this evening, and if you could, just take it with you the entire week. Genesis chapter 28, verse 16, the key verse for this morning. Jacob woke from his sleep and thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Let me make a very simple suggestion for you. God is near you. God is close to you. But because of the noise and the busyness and the hurry that you and I have allowed in our life, we may not be aware of it. God is close. But because of the noise and the busyness and the hurry that you and I have allowed in our life, we may not be aware of it. So this morning, I want to encourage each of us, myself included, to be more attentive to this simple truth that Jacob learned a few thousand years ago. Surely God was in this place. Surely the Lord was here and I wasn't aware of it. I want to encourage us to begin some practices how we can learn to train ourselves to be more aware of the reality of God's closeness. That's where we're going this morning. So as we consider Jacob's story, what it may teach us, let's pray together and we'll see what God may teach us together. Jesus, we come before You and we ask that You would teach We humble ourselves before Your Spirit's power and His work among our lives and we ask that You would move us and You would train us to be people that live aware of Your presence that we may learn to have depth in our relationship with You. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. Now I want to kind of give us a little bit of context about Jacob's life about a story may help us a little bit understanding what's happening at this short little portion of his life that we read just a second ago. Jacob comes from a, a fairly dysfunctional family. He had his own share of problems. He himself was a conniving, manipulative kind of person. He was a twin, but the scriptures tell us even in the womb, the two were jostling for position. They were arguing and battling with one another. And he was born second. His older brother Esau was born just seconds before Jacob was born. But the scripture describes Jacob as one being born as was grasping the heel of his older brother Esau. Descriptive of someone who would take whatever he could and grasp over whatever he wanted and take it by whatever means. That he would manipulate, he would connive, he would steal, he would do whatever he could to get whatever he wanted for whatever means were necessary. Was, this was Jacob's 
story. He was a, a conniving, manipulating kind of a guy from the very beginning. When his father, and their father Isaac, was really old and his eyesight was kind of deteriorating, going away, Jacob, with, with the help of his mother, contrived to steal the family blessing away from his older brother Esau. Dressed himself up and put some kind of camouflage on himself to go to his father Isaac and con- confused him and convinced him that he was his older brother Esau and he stole the birthright away from his brother Esau. It was actually the second time that Jacob had stolen from his brother. And, you know, kind of understandably, his brother was upset at that. Furious, the Scripture says. And Esau vowed to get revenge over Jacob. And so it's under this kind of understanding that Jacob flees for his life. He leaves his family and he goes. He was kind of a homebody kind of a person. He wasn't an outdoorsman at all. He liked being at home and liked kind of the the safety and the security of being home with a home-cooked meal and having people take care of him and those kind of things. And now he's forced to flee for his life and he's out in the wilderness. He's got no place to lay his head, so he finds a rock to put his head on. And this is where he is and this is where the story ends that Janice read for us earlier, picks up. Because it is at this place in the desert, both figuratively and literally, where Jacob is fleeing for his life, that God desires and decides to show up. God gets his attention, and he gives him a dream. And he sees this ladder that connects from earth to heaven. He sees angels ascending and descending, and he hears and he sees God describing who he is and promising this promise over Jacob. God gets Jacob's attention. And while there's a lot to go into this vision and what's going on with Jacob's life here, I want us to notice just a few things in this encounter that you and I may find helpful as we seek to have depth in our relationship with God. As we seek, if we can, to train ourselves to give God our fullest attention with that key phrase, that key passage in the back of our mind for the rest of this morning. The first thing I want us to notice about this, about what it may teach us about God, and that is that God wants to be known. God wants to be known. This experience between God and Jacob is such an evidence of God's mercy and His kindness. Regardless of your situation, regardless of where you may find yourself, God desires to make Himself known, and God initiates the encounter. God initiates it. Jacob is in a place of desolation, both, again, literally and figuratively. Much of which is because of his own doing, right? His own conniving, his own manipulating, his own stealing of the birthright. Much of that is his own doing. And yet God is the one who initiates this divine encounter with Jacob. So what does that tell you about the heart of God? What does it tell you about the heart of God who wants to be known? Wants to be known. At this point, we're not even sure much about Jacob's spiritual life. There's nothing really to show us that Jacob was a really spiritual person. Much of his life had been dominated by selfishness and by self-absorption and just manipulating to get everything he wants for himself. And yet still, God is the one who initiates a divine encounter that will alter Jacob's life for all of eternity. What does it tell you about the nature of God? About the heart of God? I hope it at least tells you that God wants to be known by His creation. God desires relationship with us. Notice that it is God who is doing the initiating. It is God who is the, the angels that are descending 
and ascending on this ladder. It's not Jacob who has to make himself up the ladder. It's the angels that are coming down to initiate relationship. This is very vital for us to understand, for us to grasp this morning because it is the true, one, living, almighty, everlasting, eternal God who initiates relationship with you and with me, who speaks, who desires to be known, who wants us to understand, and it is we who have to train ourselves to have capacity to hear him and to recognize his voice. So the very first thing kind of foundational I want you to grasp this morning is that God wants to be known. Second truth that we see in this and that very simple thing, but also kind of earth shattering at the same time. Second thing is that there is no place where God is not. There's no place that God is not. Wherever you find yourself, God is there. Wherever you find yourself, God is there. In your worship folder, there's a there's a portion of Psalm 139 in that, and it reminds us that there is no place you can go to escape the presence of God. If you were to go to the highest peaks of heights, then God is there. If you were to go to the lowest depths of low, then God is still there. There's no way that you can get away from the presence of God. And sometimes you may find yourself in a place or in a situation or with people that you go, mm, maybe not here. Maybe not here. Maybe not with these people. But can I just tell you that the testimony of scripture older testament all the way through the newer testament that the testimony of scripture is that there is no place where god is not there is no place where god is not teaches us straight from jacob's story but like jacob you and i may you and i may find ourselves in discouraging and unpromising locations jacob was in a desert with no place to put his head just a rock for a pillow you and I may find ourselves in places, locations that we think, hmm, not sure about that. We may find ourselves in a work environment that's hostile and angry and bitter, people fighting all the time. We may find ourselves in a culture at large which seems to have turned their back on the ways of God. And, and it may feel, feel and look as though God is far away from this place. That's not true. Not true. God is mindful of you wherever you are. Wherever you are. Like Jacob, you and I may feel as though we're in an emotional or relational desert. Or it may not be physical, but it may be figurative where we're feeling alone and we have this struggle that we're going through. Maybe it's a loss of a dream where we had these hopes and these aspirations and these dreams that just aren't, aren't coming true. And we're tempted to believe that we're just kind of going through this alone and our emotional, relational life is just kind of blah. We may be tempted to feel like God's not there. Maybe we felt God at some point in our life, but we don't feel Him now. And we may be tempted to think that God, well, maybe God's forgotten. That's not true. It's not true. We might be feeling that we're in a bad place spiritually because we recognize that we failed. And then we're honest enough to recognize our own sinful nature and our faith is weak and the voice of doubt that is telling us that God wouldn't have anything to do with us because of our past mistakes and because of our failures. Can I encourage us? 
wherever you are in your spiritual life and wherever you find yourself physically, emotionally, or spiritually, you are not lost in God's sight. There's no place that you are that God is not there. You are not lost to God's sight. May that truth be encouraging to you this morning. One writer writes it this way, and I think it's helpful to us. Whatever stage in life, whatever transition we may be going through, and whatever circumstances may befall us, we remain within the sphere of divine nearness. That's a great phrase. We remain within the sphere of divine nearness. We see this in Jacob's story, and I just simply want it to be an encouragement to us. There's no place that God is not. So if God desires to be known, He initiates relationship and wants to speak and wants to to have this relationship with us. And if there is no place where God is not, then we have to deal with the third thing I want us to understand this morning. And then we have to deal with our problem of crowded our, our crowded minds, how our minds are distracted. We have to deal with that. Because you and I live in sensory overload all the time. We live in constant, with constant things filling up our space with technology and hurriedness and schedule itself is all over the place. It's leaving very little room to actually connect and actually be attentive and, and aware of the presence of God around us. We live with crowded minds. When we look at Jacob's inattentiveness, we see someone who is preoccupied with concerns. Around him. And if we could, for a second, pay attention to our inattentiveness, why we're not attentive, then we would recognize that our minds are preoccupied with other concerns. We have crowded minds, things are just kind of bombarded in there. For Jacob, he was preoccupied with those circumstances that were immediate right around him. He was preoccupied out of fear for the conflict from his family and stealing from his brother Esau and all the stuff that was coming from that. He was preoccupied by that. He was preoccupied by the material success and grasping anything he possibly could for whatever he wanted at whatever means. He was preoccupied by that. He was preoccupied by the way in which he was forced to leave home and to wander in the desert and to figure out where he was going to go. He was concerned with what was going to happen next to him and if any animals were going to come or what was going to be safe or anything else. His mind was preoccupied by all things that were the immediate things right around him. His mind was crowded by things. The very word preoccupied carries it with this notion that reminds you that the space is already taken. Right? There's little to very little or or no room for anyone or anything else. It's preoccupied. It's already taken. Jacob's mind was already taken. It It was already crowded. The worries, the anxieties, the immediate things right around him played in part for him to be unaware of the presence of God in and around him and you and i if we can just be honest with each other at least let me be honest for you (laughs) you and i there are moments where our minds are preoccupied are crowded with things that are immediate nature things like our family our relationships health concerns job and financial issues and 
conflict that is going on in one or more of those areas. We're preoccupied with grades and test scores and making sure that we get the right placement. We're preoccupied with dating and if someone will ever ask us on a date or what that may look like. We'll ever have a relationship. We're preoccupied with those things. Our minds can become so preoccupied that there is little to no room for God and to be aware of God's presence. And our spiritual life will remain stagnant when our minds stay crowded. Our life with God will remain on a plateau when our minds remain crowded. And if you and I are not careful to attend to this, you and I, we may even begin to question God's presence. May even begin to question if God's actually near us. So at the risk of just being annoying, let me ask you a question. Do you have something that is preoccupying your mind right now? Do you have something that is making it difficult for you to notice the nearness of the divine? Did you have something this week that preoccupied your mind? And hear me clearly, I'm I'm not saying that we don't have important things that don't need attention. For sure we do. And we ought to give attention to them, make sure that we're, we're doing... But are you preoccupied? Is your mind crowded? Has it been crowded this week that has made it difficult for you to recognize the nearness of the divine with you? Last thing I want us to look at this morning is to be aware of God's presence, to live with an awareness. What we learned from Jacob's story. Jacob's story reminds us that this, of the way the world actually is. It reminds us to see the world as it actually is. That it is alive with God's presence all around. Jacob wakes up from his dream and he says, surely the Lord was in this place, in this desert place where I feel alone and I feel like no one's around and I feel like I'm far from anything that's, that's life-giving. Surely the Lord is in this place. Jacob's story reminds us to see the world as it actually is, not how we sometimes experience it, but how it actually is, that it is alive with God's presence, dripping in God's presence all throughout. Reminds us to live with that kind of awareness of God's goodness and His presence all the time. Dallas Willard in his fantastic book, Divine Conspiracy, writes this about this. Jesus' good news about the kingdom can be an effective guide for our lives only if we share His view of the world. To His eyes, this is a God-bathed and God-permeated world. It is a world filled with a glorious reality where every component is within the range of God's direct knowledge and control. Though obviously, He obviously permits some of it for good reasons to be for a while otherwise than He wishes. It is a world that is inconceivably beautiful and good because of God and because God is always in it. Until our thoughts of God have found every visible thing and event glorious with His presence, the Word of Jesus has not yet fully seized us. That last phrase I want you to wrestle with. 
until our thoughts of God have found every visible thing and event glorious with His presence. The Word of Jesus has not yet fully seized us. Friends, this is a God-bathed world, permeated with His presence. The problem is you and I are distracted and we miss it. For Jacob, he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I was unaware. This is a God-bathed, God-permeated world. The issue is we are distracted and they cause us to miss what what the world is really like. So we need to learn to practice to live aware of God's presence all the time. We need to discipline ourselves to practice the ability to see God and to give Him our fullest attention in the midst of all the distractions. Of all the distractions. Now it's one thing to say that. And it's even one thing to kind of get people to go, yeah, that seems about right. And give it some head nods. It's a different thing to engage in some training to see the world as it actually is and to live that way. To live acutely aware of the presence of God. If I could summarize Jacob's story, at least this portion of Jacob's story and all of what we've kind of talked about a little bit this morning, that would be this. That the whole world is the house of God. The whole world is the house of God. And we need to train ourselves to live aware of that and see it the way it is. And let me suggest for you this practice we can do. This discipline we can engage in this morning and into this next week. And this is the practice of doing what has been called breath prayer. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's learning to pray short bits of, bits of prayers along with just your, the rhythm of your breathing. Scripture places significance to, the, to breath itself because it closely is aligned to life, to goodness, to, to longevity. In Genesis, we're told in the creation account that God breathed into us and he gave us life that his breath itself is life actually in the hebrew the word for spirit that we would say that translated to word to be the word holy spirit is ruach which also could be translated to be breath that the breath of god is the spirit is life so when we can concentrate on our breathing when we can pray along with our breathing it's in a way of recognizing the goodness of god's life in us, the gift of our life because of God. So one of the ways that we can train ourselves to be more aware and be more attentive of the God who's always present around us is to pay attention to the rhythm of our breath. To just take some deep breaths. And it's not a a new age kind of meditative kind of breathing thing where you just try to empty yourself and just kind of get into the nothingness. But we take deep breaths and we're aware of the God who gives us life by the very breath of God, initiates life to us. So we take some deep breaths and we slowly breathe and we remind ourselves of the divine nearness of God Himself. Close enough to our very breath that we receive life and sustenance from God Himself. Taking deep breaths like that in the morning and then in the middle of the day, a couple times during the day, just reminds us to get our attention off of the immediate and to be reminded that this is a God-bathed world. God-permeated. And may our attention be given to it. 
And as we take these deep breaths and we bring them in and, and take those breaths, we can kind of say short phrases of prayer that matches alongside with the rhythm. And I don't suggest for us this morning that we say what's kind of been passed down is kind of this Jesus prayer. Really short phrases. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I can tell you that as I was preparing this stuff for the last week and a half or so as I've been thinking about this sermon and this kind of message, this series, I've needed this prayer itself directly this past week. And I suspect I'll need it this week to clear out the distractions and to focus my attention on the presence of God. The purpose is not to be perfect in the prayer. The purpose is to intentionally slow down the distractions and the hurry and to push against the incessant need to hurry along and do things and to pay attention to the presence of God close enough in even the presence of God in our breath to give us life. The awareness of God. So here's what we ask us to do. To seek to bring this discipline, this practice to us not only today but then this week. To begin, to, to begin your day and then find a day, time in the middle of your day. You may need to set an alarm on your phone or you may need to, if it's lunchtime or something else, find something to remind you to take two to three deep breaths through the day and let those breaths be a reminder of the breath of God that is giving life to you. And to say along this short prayer as i was thinking about this i was thinking many of you i know are teachers this would be fantastic between each period when the bell rings and those punks leave your classroom and then oh sorry sorry those wonderfully gifted people leave your classroom and you just take two to three deep breaths to remind yourself lord jesus son of god have mercy on me sinner then before we close this morning and Jason and the band lead us in a responsive song. We're going to do that this morning. We're going to just simply take a moment and practice just taking some deep breaths and saying along this prayer. As we just take the first breath in, saying, Lord Jesus, as it goes out, you say, Son of God. And as you take another breath in, have mercy on me. As you take it out, a sinner. To just see taking some breaths like this throughout our day and to encourage ourselves and to discipline ourselves this week in the morning, and at least once in the middle of the day. And let's just see if our awareness of God's presence is heightened a little bit. Let's just see how we can train ourselves to be attentive to the divine nearness. Because there is no place that you can go that God is not. This place, this world, is a God-bathed, God-permeated world. Would you be attentive to it? And may this breath prayer and may this practice lead us to train ourselves to be aware of God's presence ever near to us. Let's just try it and see what happens. So calm yourselves down a little bit. Maybe get yourself comfortable. Take a few deep breaths. Say this prayer a couple times and then Jason and the team will lead us in a responsive song. We'll go from there this morning. Let's see.